0: Well, we are in a series here. We are in the home stretch. I think we're going to finish it uh, by the end of August. Uh, And then in September, I want to just kind of in between, obviously this one on worship that's coming up is going to be a big series for us, Uh, but in between the first, I think like three weeks of September, uh, I'm going to do a little mini series on what it means to be a multicultural church. We have a heart to be a multicultural church here uh, at City Life, and so again, if you're new to the church, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what that looks like and what that means and some of the things that we value here. So I think this story series, it's the longest series that we've ever done. Uh, There's going to be a slide that comes up. This is all the ground that we've been covering together. Uh, By the time we finish, we will have done all of this. The next slide is going to show uh, what we have left and then what we're going to be doing tonight. And It will pop up and then what's in red. Uh, is going to be still what we have uh, left to do. So the eternal death on Romans 6.23, I'm going to be talking about that. Do we believe in a literal hell? What does the Bible have to say about that? I think that's going to be next week. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a unique aspect of creation uh, in the Garden of Eden and Genesis, and then we have those two as the final uh, to bring home, live the way, and then the promise there of John 3.3. 3. So I trust that this series has impacted you in a couple of ways. One is I hope that it has inspired you that the Bible does tell a story. It tells one story, it tells lots of stories, but there's one big story from start to finish and that's the story of the gospel that Jesus died. For the sins of the world. And so I trust that this series has familiarized you with the story and that you feel equipped and empowered that you can begin to engage people that you know about this story. And then it becomes just a great resource to direct people to. We have the story cards. If you don't have those, you should be keeping those with you. There's a a little QR code on the back that gives people a little bit of a synopsis of what the gospel is. uh, And that's a tool that you can use as you're talking with people as well. So I wanna let me give before I jump into all of this tonight, we'll see how much we get through. If I have to do some of it next week we will because I don't I don't wanna be in a hurry. But I, I just wanna mention a few things for what I'm going to talk about later at the end of the message. I'm going to get to something that maybe for some of you might be problematic or could be a little controversial, and, and so I just want to lay the groundwork for that before I jump into the theme for tonight, which is going to be agency. But this is Hebrews ten twenty four, and many of you know this work. It, it talks about us provoking one another to, no, another to love and good works. Now some translations they don't like to use the word provoke. You got it. You got to go all the way to the King James to find provoke. They change it to stir up or encourage or motivate. But in the Greek, it's provoke it's the it's the same word that you would use if someone's going to start an argument but not everything that is provocative is confrontational right not everything that is provocative is negative and so here I think the Holy Spirit was inspiring the writer of Hebrews to say no, no no sometimes we have to provoke each other a little bit towards love and good works now it's in contrast because when you get to the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says hey turn the other cheek. It seems to be in contrast to provocation, but we understand the Bible in light of itself. What Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5, he was saying, hey, provocation for the point of conflict is bad. Provocation out of love because you're trying to move someone towards righteousness and good works is always a good thing. I think as you read the Gospels, you would be able to say that Jesus was oftentimes provocative. He wasn't provocative for conflict's sake, but he was provocative because sometimes truth stirs up things in us. I think what you'll find as you read scripture that good works is always the fruit of good character. If there's going to be good works that comes out of our, come out of our lives, it's going to be because there's good character in our lives. And, and in my thinking, I think that usually when the Bible talks about love, especially from the Greek word agape, it's not talking about warm, fuzzy feelings. It's using love as a catch-all term for all of the character of Christ because love is a virtue, and there's 24 virtues that we teach that represent the character of Christ. So when Jesus said, love your enemy, he wasn't saying to you and to me, Have all warm, fuzzy feelings in your heart towards your enemies. Because he knows we're not going to have warm, fuzzy feelings in our hearts towards our enemies. What he was saying is, respond in character to your enemies always. Don't respond out of your brokenness. Don't respond out of your humanity. Respond in love in the same way that God responds in love to us, in virtue and in character. And so when we get to that part of the message, I'm just saying it now so it just kind of warms you up. You with me? Just kind of loosening you up a little bit. Loosening up a little bit. So let's talk about agency tonight. I want to read out of Genesis 2, 1-9. to And it says, So the creations of the heaven and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it, holy because it was the day when he rested from all of the work of creation. This is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. The creation narrative in the Bible, you can find it in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. They're not in contradiction to each other. We understand them together with each other. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made, meaning that the Garden of Eden wasn't all the world. He created all the world, but then he created a very specific place where he put the very first man and the very first woman. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We did that earlier in the series. You can get back to that through our podcast if you want to learn more about that. See, some of the things that God created, he doesn't state. They're things that we're supposed to observe. Are you with me? He, the Bible doesn't describe specifically everything that's created. Some of it's supposed to happen through observation. And I think, as you're going to see tonight, that one of the things that God created in the beginning of time is something called agency. It's not listed specifically, but it is an observation that we find Let me give you a definition. This is some research that I did this week, and I've kind of combined a few definitions together. It says, agency, it's going to come on the screen, is the sense of control that you feel in your life, your capacity to influence your own thoughts and behavior, and to have faith in your ability to handle a wide range of tasks and situations. Your sense of agency helps you to be psychologically stable yet flexible in the face of conflict or change. The ability to take action or to choose what action to take. 90% of parenting is teaching your children about agency. Are you with me? We, we did, uh, taught a Growing Kids God's Way class. We've taught that for probably for 15, 20 years. And, uh, and we practice that for our kids, that, that curriculum. And one of the things that it says when your child is having a problem with self-control, you would have them sit down. I'm going to put my mic down. And they would they have to posture this way, putting their, their hands on their knees. Ethan and Claire are both here. They can tell you. They, 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 they spent some moments in life with their hands on their knees. There's something about posturing your physical body and the immaterial part of you will, will follow. It's one of the reasons why. We kneel when we pray or we raise our hands in worship. There's a principle that we're practicing. Our physical body kind of leads our immaterial self. Part of parenting is teaching your children how to be a steward of their agency, how to exercise their authority for self-governance. Agency is uniquely different from free will. They're not synonyms. Agency isn't the modern word for free will. You can maybe say they're cousins. Free will speaks to my opportunity to make decisions without God's controlling influence. God sometimes still has a controlling influence. This is part of the tension of Christianity. Sovereignty versus free will. Agency speaks to the authority I choose to exercise because of the free will I have. Everybody has free will. Not everyone exercises agency. You tracking with me? Everybody has free will. Not everybody exercises agency. Agency in Eden. God isn't just introducing Adam to creation. I'm going to read four verses to you. and One's a couple of verses. He's also introducing Adam to the idea of agency. Watch this. This comes out of Genesis 2.15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden. So what it says? To tend and to watch over it. What's that talking about? It's talking about agency. It's God saying, Adam... I'm going to give you some responsibility. Tending over this garden. The idea is that God gave him the responsibility and then God stepped away. It was for Adam to exercise his authority that God had given him to tend to the garden where he lived. Agency. Genesis 2.19. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And Listen to what it says. And the man chose the name for each of them. It doesn't say that God gave Adam the list and it says, Adam, these are all the things that I want the animals called. And your job is to introduce these animals to their names. It's not what it says. It says God brought the animals to, to Adam and it was Adam's responsibility to pick the names that they would be called. What is that? It's agency. It's authority. It's the ability to choose. Genesis 2, to 24. It says, then the Lord God made a woman. Come on, and all the men said amen. From the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my Bone and flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is a, this explains. Listen to twenty four. Why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to be his wife? Brendan and Katrina, they're getting ready to get married. Come on, and the two are united into one. What is this talking about? It's talking about agency. It's saying that in life that, that you have an opportunity to choose to join your life to another person. Agency! Right here in the creation story. You're like, I didn't know. Ah, Now you do. It's here. Now here's my favorite form of agency, Genesis 2.25. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay. All right. You don't think that's as funny as I do? That's a whole different kind of agency and we're not going to talk about it tonight in mixed company. But is the term agency applicable to God? I think it is. Listen to Isaiah 40, 25 to 31. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens who created all the stars. Listen to all these examples of agency. He he brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Or Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator, right? Agency, the creator of all the earth. He acted. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Come on. God exercises agency. And if you had any doubt, the Bible says, I'm going to make it as plain as I can. In Psalm three, listen to this. Our God is in the heavens. He does as he wishes. He has agency. He has authority to act, to do, to be. The agency I have is part of my Imago Dei. This is important that you understand that. The agency that you were born with is part of your Imago Dei. Because if we had time and we went back and looked at the rest of the creation narrative, we would find all the examples where it talks about how we have been created in the image and the likeness of God. I would put to you today that the reason we have agency is because we are created in the image and likeness of our creator. I resemble my creator because like him, I have agency. Why is that important? Because it means that my agency is sacred. Any part of your imago Dei is part of the sacredness of who you are. Any part of you that is there because it's in the image and the likeness of your God, it means that it is a sacred part of who you are. It's one of the reasons why racism is so egregious, because it is a sin against the agency of others. It's one of the reasons why human trafficking is so egregious, because it is a sin against the agency of others. It's one of the reasons why anything like misogyny, anything that is demeaning or takes someone else's agency from them is so egregious because God says, Hey, you're messing with something sacred in that person. You're messing with their Imago Dei. The agency I have is part of my Imago Day. I resemble my creator because, like him, I have agency part of the human experience in this life is guarding against the thieves that would enter into the garden of your existence to steal the agency from you that God intends for you to have. Now, are there times when we voluntarily give up our agency in a healthy way? Absolutely. Are there times when we're supposed to submit our agency that we're supposed to voluntarily choose to say, I'm not going to exercise my agency? Yes, I think so. I think the workplace is a great example of that. If you have ever had a job, you understand that there are times when you have to submit your agency to the agency of others. There's someone telling you what to do, even if you don't want to do it. There's a customer that you're trying to serve and have a good attitude towards, even though they don't deserve it. There's a coworker that you're trying to get along with, even though that they've done nothing to receive it. In the workplace, we sometimes have to voluntarily set aside our agency. If you are in the military, if you are married, if you are parenting, if you've ever been on any type of air travel or a train or a cruise. Sometimes you have to surrender some of your rights. You with me? There are times in your life where you have voluntarily said, because of this relationship, because of this situation, because of my context, I'm gonna give up some of my agency, and it's a healthy thing to do. If you've ever been the member of a church, come on. Sometimes we have to give up some of our agency. But there is a big difference between choosing to give up agency. When Jesus went to the cross, you know what he did? He was giving up agency. You tracking with me? When Jesus went to the cross, he was giving up agency. He was submitting himself to the judgment of sin that he did not deserve. It's one thing to give up agency. It's something else to have agency taken from you. Let me give you these three examples where the Bible says, hey, these things are bad because they take your agency when it should not be taken. Proverbs 22.2 two says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt is troublesome and problematic. Is all debt bad? Certainly not. But most of it is. Why is it bad? Because you're giving up agency. It, it means that you are now controlled by this debt that you have now amassed. And the Bible says, Be careful. There's all kinds of economic and financial reasons, but the reason why, the biggest reason why I think God is, says, Be careful is He's saying, Be careful how you put your agency on an altar, and when you do it, and who you do it for, because it's a sacred part of us. It's part of our imago day. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them, and listen to what it says, and endanger your soul. What's this talking about? This is talking about a certain kind of agency. It's called moral agency. You and I have a responsibility to choose between right and wrong. The Bible is saying is that when you immerse yourself in unhealthy relationships, Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, says that bad company corrupts good character. When you immerse yourself, do, do we have to associate? Yeah, yes, because then you're never going to reach the world with the gospel. But those can't be your people. Right? Your people is the, are the body of Christ, and then together we go out into a broken world. But those aren't supposed to be our people because if, that, if they become our people, if that becomes our tribe, then we become like them and then we begin to lose our moral agency. Proverbs 5.22 reads this way. An evil man is led captive by his own sins. What's the Bible taught? Agency. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. Listen to what it says. They are ropes that catch and hold him. Let me read it this way. An evil woman is held captive by her own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold her. Sinful desire, practices of sinful behavior that we know in our hearts are not supposed to be a part of our lives that we keep giving ourselves to. They are often destructive for their own reasons, but one of the main reasons why they are destructive is that we become a bondage to that sin. And it's taking our agency from us. Something that God says to you and to me, hey, this is sacred. There's another thief of agency, and it's past trauma. And oftentimes, trauma is not something that we have willingly entered into. It's when someone has done something to us. Seldom is trauma the result of our own choices. Oftentimes, that we are a victim of our circumstance. We're going to hear from two people tonight. I'm going to invite Jennifer to come up. I hope when you see Jennifer and Spencer at the end of this service that you're going to say thank you to them. Because it takes courage to stand up and talk about how things in your life have happened that have taken your agency from you. And my invitation to them and their motivation for participating tonight is because we know that there are gonna be people that are watching from home, and we know that there are gonna be people here that you're suffering in silence, and we're saying, raise your hand because there's help to reclaim the agency that a thief has taken from you. Can you give Jennifer a warm City Life welcome?
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, In 2015, I nicknamed myself Tragedy Girl. Over my life, I survived many heinous abuses. I was proud of myself for surviving. Anyone who caught wind of one of my nightmarish stories would tell me how amazing I was for that, just surviving. They weren't wrong, but surviving is not overcoming and certainly not an indicator of healing. The word overcomer conveys a complete end. I am not sure that exists this side of heaven. Trauma has altered my brain in ways that take daily intentionality, emotional honesty, and ongoing closeness with God and others. I met my friend who many of you know, Tammy Masters, in 2018. I thought she was fantastic right away. I knew I liked her and wanted to be her friend. However, I pretty quickly told her she didn't want to be my friend. I had hit the lowest rock bottom place of my life. All the bright siding, pretending and performing didn't work for me anymore. I was crushed without hope. I told her upfront, I have nothing left to offer you. And I meant it. I had high walls of protection, I could not fake a smile and I was terrified to fathom trusting anyone ever again. But being who she is, she saw through my shards, knocked on my cold stone cave walls and replied, so you wanna come over for lunch? In that moment, I allowed her to see me in my rawest form and she didn't flinch. That honest confession was the beginning of a journey to true healing and a loving friendship that changed everything. We all need to be seen. No mask, no cleaning up first, no forced smiles, and no, I'm fine when I'm not. This was my very first step to overcoming the robbery of my agency. Had I been vulnerable with someone else, I might have learned it is not safe to be vulnerable, and my real raw self will not be accepted. Thank God he knew what he was doing here. Not everyone can hold space for our real raw conditions, but it's important to trust that someone somewhere can therapists are great for this. When I began to open up and share my story with my safe sweet friend, it was honestly frightening. She would remind me to not panic as I faced the heartbreaking details. She would say, "Whatever God heals or whatever God reveals, he heals." Those words gave me strength. It turned out that the big T traumas like violence and sexual abuse that were obvious to me were just the tip of it. Um, but never underestimate the stories and your stories and experiences. Little T traumas like betrayal and emotional abuse are much harder to recognize the impact of, therefore they're much harder to heal, but they matter greatly. My story is heinous, but one of the most heartbreaking things to me is when someone devalues their story based on comparison. Please don't do that. Remember, we don't know what we don't know. We can't change what we can't face. We can't face what we can't see, we can't see what we can't fathom to believe, but all of our stories are worth exploring. We all deserve to be seen in our stories engaged in safety and love. When I could not go on with the tools I had, I realized I needed change. I prayed for help and God sent me a friend. One of the first things my friend laid out for me was this idea of messiness. I struggled to grapple with what she was saying. The very word messy honestly agitated my perfectionistic mindset and vicariously soothed my aching soul. She said, hey, it's okay if you need to be messy and imperfect, you've been badly traumatized, you might need to be messy while healing. I'm sure I cried the first time I heard those words. That idea of messy was tested many times over our our friendship as we grew together. I let myself get comfortable, despite my great fear of harming her. I had been conditioned in life that if I was messy, I might make a mistake, and mistakes were not safe or acceptable. Sadly, but not surprisingly, in my messiness, I did hurt her. She didn't run, but she also didn't pity me or accept poor behavior because I was profoundly wounded. My friend loved me enough to believe in me and tell me uncomfortable truths so I could mend wounds and grow. She spoke to me in truth and love. She offered the kind of grace that was not permissive, but powerful. She had healthy boundaries for herself too, which is so important. I have been able to grow in more ways than I could begin to express here. I have been able to take back so much of the land that powerlessness, helplessness, tragedy, and despair stole from me. If I would have needed to look good to start that journey, it never would have began. Proverbs 14.4, in the Passion, if anybody wants to look it up, says, um, the only clean stable is an empty stable. So if you want the work of an ox and to enjoy an abundant harvest, you'll have a mess or two to clean up. This scripture sounded strange until I looked deeper. What it means to me is that I can either choose perfection and appearances or I can accept messiness as a means to achieve far more than I could ever achieve in my own strength. I could not have both. My breaking free came from the breaking of things that didn't belong in me. When survival, performance, and facade could no longer prevail, I let myself be seen. Only then could I begin to reclaim my life. May we all be blessed with someone that sees us and loves us in our messy but doesn't enable us, and may we all be people who are safe to be messy with for the sake of freedom and love.
0: Come on. Yes. You should clap for that. Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, hey before Spencer comes, I, I want to do this. I, I, I want to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And, and if you're watching online at home, I, I want you to f- participate in these. Don't feel foolish by just because you're not... In the sanctuary, that you can't bow your head or close your eyes, you can't. I just, I want to create a moment. Of pro- I want you to ask yourself this question right now: Is there trauma in my past that is robbing me of my agency? Do, do I have hurt in my past that is making me feel powerless? I, j- I just want that question just to linger in your heart, just for a moment. And if you're saying, I think there may be, maybe for some of you it's a resounding yes. But even if it's, I think there may be, then I want to pray over you right now, just in the privacy of where you are. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, raise your hand, come forward. So I just want you to be at ease, to fully engage in this moment. Father, I pray for whoever their Tammy Masters is supposed to be. I pray, just as you did for Jennifer, so too you will do for them, that there is a divine relationship that is waiting for them. And for those that already know who that is, I pray that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will stir up something inside of them to reach out to that person and say, I'm ready for that lunch. I'm ready for that cup of coffee. I pray for the Tammy Masters in our church. I pray for the Tammy Masters in our community, that you, Holy Spirit, would prophetically prompt them to reach out to some people this week, maybe because of a dream they have, or maybe as they're worshiping and praying that a person's face or a name is going to come to mind, and it's going to be someone's face or name that right now is saying, yes, I have trauma in my past that's robbing me of my agency, that's making me feel powerless. And I pray that for every person that's saying yes or is saying, I think, maybe, that you would just give birth to an ember of faith inside of them right now to believe that change is on the horizon for them too. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. How, give Spencer a warm, city life welcome as he comes.
2: going to compare myself to Jennifer because we're growing, we're healing, we're not comparing traumas. I've always looked at life and its experiences as objects in a box. As we live, we place most of those objects that appear in our box on a proverbial shelf, trinkets we gaze upon from time to time that we call memories. For me, PTSD felt like a box full of boulders, warping the cardboard, breaking my back, it being far too heavy to place upon the shelf. One of my biggest boulders dropped in 2013 when I deployed to Afghanistan for nearly a year with the 101st Airborne at the age of 18. I was a kid. After I returned home, I refused to acknowledge the boulder that I carried, and it strained my relationships, my mental health, and my faith. Even after recommitting my life to Christ in 2016, I wore my PTSD around my neck like an anchor all while refusing to even acknowledge its existence. I would try to downplay my own experience and tell myself things like, you were lucky. Others had it worse. Suck it up. However, reflecting upon or talking about my experiences overseas would send me down into a spiral that would take me days, sometimes weeks, to recover from. I felt that I had lost control of my thoughts, my emotions, and my identity. It wasn't until 2018 when I was talking with a close friend about his own rough experiences overseas, and I noticed that when he shared his trauma, which would normally send me spiraling, he spoke as if it were just another story. When I asked him how in the world can you talk about this so casually, he looked at me and he said, because I reached the point that I had to accept that if I didn't hand over my pain to my heavenly father, and get help that I wasn't going to make it. It was that conversation that made me finally acknowledge that I did in fact have PTSD and started me on my healing journey of lifting my boulder out of my box to its place on the shelf. Simply the act of acknowledging the fact that I was carrying something so heavy opened the door for the Holy Spirit to move within me and begin mending those broken parts and professional counseling has given me the practical tools needed to keep that boulder on the shelf and regain agency in my life. And I wanna say that again because men, this is killing us. And professional counseling has given me the practical tools needed to keep that boulder on the shelf and regain agency in my own life. If you're listening to this and you're carrying your own boulder, I just want you to know that you aren't alone. Your God loves you and he wants to carry that burden with you. I promise that he is so much more waiting for you if you will just take that bold step in trusting him.
0: We're going to invite the worship team to to come up. Let, let's just let's create another moment. Can we do that? Just like we did in the aftermath of Jennifer, I'm just going to invite you to to just close your eyes, just Create a moment of privacy. If you're at home, again, I'm going to invite you to do the same thing. If you serve in the military or have ever served in the military, and it's not just the military, if you are or have ever been a first responder, people forget, EMTs, firefighters, PTSD is very real. If you've ever been or are in in law enforcement, PTSD is real. And if, and if that's you, I just, I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray for every person whose story mirrors Spencer's. Military, first responders, law enforcement, people that work in emergency rooms, people that serve in any capacity where they are constantly exposed to violence, professional counselors. I pray, Father, that you would set them free from the lie that they have to fix themselves. I pray that right now that you would set them free from the bondage that says that I feel this way because something's wrong with me. I pray, Father, that right now that you would you would set them free, you would set them free, set them free. From the deception that says that no one else could ever understand my story. I pray Father that for every one of them, Every one of you right now, as you hear my voice, as you look back into your story, if there is trauma there that is related to violence in any way, in any way, that you're going to raise your hand in some way. That you're going to call a friend. You're going to call a counselor. You're going to reach out to me. I want you to hear me say there are people that are here in this church who are going to be able to look at you and say, I understand your story. Father, I pray that you would set people free, whether it was people reaching back to when Jennifer shared or whether it's people now, after hearing Spencer share, that they will not suffer in silence, that they will stop hiding. They're going to take a step. They're going to be willing to be conspicuous. They're going to be willing to be seen. You're going to raise a hand. And that they're going to find a willing person who's going to walk with them for a time and a season. A friend, a counselor, a therapist, a pastor, a mentor. Just as Spencer so eloquently said, to find a place for every boulder on its shelf. In Jesus' name. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Still want to do this last song. I know we're off the clock a little bit. I want to read this verse before we go into this song. This is out of Luke 4. Listen to this. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. This is after he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. What's he talking about? He's talking about agency. He came to give it back. Surrendered his so you and I could find ours. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, sat down, and all eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. And this is what he said. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I pray, Father, that something would be fulfilled this very day in every life of every person that's listening right now. I pray that something would be, be, fu- be fulfilled this very day for people that are here at 311 Seldon Road or wherever they might be, whether they're listening to this years from now, finding it in some archive, that something would be fulfilled for them this very day. That the agency that you created them with, the authority that you have put in them to self-govern and to choose and to act, I pray that to this very day that it would be fulfilled. That powerlessness would be chased out of their lives like an intruder that it is. That authority would rise up inside of them in the way that you created them. That their Imago day in every way that it has been damaged, in every way that it has been wounded, everything about them that is sacred, that someone has taken, or maybe they themselves have given it up, that today would be a day, this very day, that it would be fulfilled. That Imago days would be healed, and restored and whole in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing together.
3: saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over Is my name, it's registered in heaven Yes, I believe in signs and wonders And I have a resurrection power The miracle that I just can't get over Is my name, it's registered in heaven So this praise, it belongs to you forever And This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story And I'll testify that by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony anybody got a testimony tonight yeah. oh, oh, oh. I believe in signs and resurrection power but still the miracle that I just can't get over is how my name how it's registered in heaven he remembers in my praise it belongs to him forever if you got a testimony say this is my testimony say from death to life Grace rewrote my story and I'll testify say by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified Yeah this is my testimony This is my testimony This is my testimony, is my testimony. Say from death to life What do you do? Grace re-wrote my story and I'll testify That by Jesus Christ, the righteous,
2: I'm justified.
3: This is my testimony. This is my testimony. No matter what you faced in this life, those of us who have faced trauma, the fact that you're still breathing means that God is not done with you. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Come on, somebody sing this over yourself. The greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. say, if I'm not dead, you're not done. He's still got a great life for you. Greater things are still to come. Do you believe it? Oh, I believe. You say, if I'm not dead, you're not done. No. Greater things, greater things. church. Oh my, one more time. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Go home singing that this week. Greater things, greater things are still to come. One more time, one more time. If I'm not dead, if I'm not dead, you're not done. You still got a great plan. Greater things are still to come. from death to life Cause grace wrote my story and I'll testify yeah, that by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony don't be afraid to tell your testimony don't be afraid to tell your
0: Hey, don't forget when we close in just a minute, there are going to be some people that are down here at the front to pray. So if you've got to go get your kids, we want to encourage you to do that. But if you want to hang out and talk, if you could do that outside or down in the cafe, just to keep this as an environment of ministry for us as as we pray with people. I want to encourage you to the most important reason why God gave you agency is because one day he was going to invite you to choose Jesus to be your Savior. The most important reason why he gave you agency is that one day that you would choose your authority over yourself, that you would engage your will, that you would say, that you would recognize that Jesus died for you, and now it's your turn to live for him. And if that's you, I hope at the end of this service, you're going to come down to the front, talk with one of us. If you look back over the story of your life, and you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, it's the most important reason why God gave you agency. If you're watching online, you can choose prayer. There's a button on your screen and you can go into a private chat, into a private room and someone can pray with you about what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. I want to share this too. Nikki came up and and shared just here at the end. We were talking with her and she was saying she really felt like that God was speaking to her heart to say to some of you that some of you have trauma in your life. You have church trauma, right? We all have church trauma. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. I got all kinds of church trauma. Right? But but you probably have some church trauma in your life if you've been around church for any amount of time. Sometimes spiritual leaders that betrayed you, or sometimes well-intended pastors that just did things that hurt you or harmed you. Spiritual leaders that disappointed you. Some, maybe you were in a setting where you were made to feel like you didn't fit, or you weren't right, or there wasn't a place for you, or something was wrong with you. And you're, you're carrying church trauma, and that trauma is robbing you of your agency your agency to begin to re-engage with the purpose and the plan that God has for you in the body of Christ. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to be up here at the end. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing that. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight, for every person that's watching online. Hmm. Father, I pray that people would get a vision for the creation narrative in their own life. That just as you hovered over the chaos in the beginning of time, you, you're you still hovering over chaos today. You hover over our chaos. And it's your word that brings order. It's your word that brings light. It's your word that brings life. I pray that every person here tonight would have an incredible sense this week of you speaking over us. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen.